0: Dr. Jessica Bennett, and this is the Mindful Literacy Podcast. In this podcast, you will hear inspiring interviews with teachers and experts in the field who will give you actionable tips and strategies that you can immediately implement in your teaching practice. Did you know that a teacher is likely to have a deaf or hard of hearing student in his or her class once every seven years? If you teach for 30 years, that means you will cross paths with three to five students during your career. In episode six, I interviewed Julie Stewart. The first thing you need to know is Julie is deaf and communicates with American Sign Language. This episode was interpreted by Dr. Shannon Clancy. Julie and I were not only colleagues at the Ohio School for the Deaf, but also I was one of her daughter's teachers. I catch up with Julie and ask her to give teachers tips on how to best serve kids who are deaf or hard of hearing in the general education setting. This episode is in loving memory of Tiana Hamilton. Hello, Julie. Hi, Shannon. Hi. I'm really excited to be sitting here with two of my former colleagues from the Ohio School for the Deaf. Julie Stewart is a teacher um, who I met while working at the Ohio School for the Deaf, and I also had the privilege of teaching her daughter when she was in elementary school. Yeah, and it was my honor having Toba uh, in your class as well. So Julie is actually deaf, and she is communicating with American Sign Language, and even though I do know American Sign Language and can, can communicate with Julie directly, we're using a sign language interpreter for this podcast, and our interpreter is, a, is another dear friend and colleague, Dr. Shannon Clancy. Hi. <laughs> so I'm getting used to going my, with my, you know, there's going to be a little lag on this podcast as I speak and Shannon signs for me. And then Julie will sign and Shannon will speak for Julie. So I'm hoping this is a learning opportunity for everyone listening and especially those of you watching as a vodcast. Because my career started off in deaf deaf education, I have a pretty broad understanding of the student population and some basic statistics, right? So about 14% of kids are in special education in this country. Deafness and kids who are hard of hearing make up one and a half to 2% of those children. And so, even though I'd stepped away from the deaf school and working specifically with kids who are deaf and hard of hearing, working in public school settings, um, there have always been at least two or three kids every year who are deaf or hard of hearing. And so, because of my background, I've been able to help their teams of teachers, and I thought this podcast today would be extremely beneficial for any general education teacher or special education teacher because at some point, I know that you will have a student who's deaf or hard of hearing and you'll have a resource. And so Julie today is going to be sharing with us what to do if you're in a public school system and you find yourself with a deaf or hard of hearing child on your caseload. How can we best serve them?
1: Yes, that is true. Statistically, um, it shows that general education teachers on average see one deaf student every seven years. So gen ed teachers going through 30 years of teaching would probably come across at least four or five deaf kids in their classroom at least. So yeah, that is absolutely true. And it's good to have the skill ready in order to be able to meet those kids where they're coming in from. and also. I want to make sure I clarify, when I say deaf, I mean also deaf, hard of hearing, children that are deaf and blind, children who are deaf and have disabilities. There's a whole umbrella. When I say deaf, I mean to be inclusive of all of those children.
0: And 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 you're including kids who have cochlear implants as well?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah, deaf kids who sign, deaf kids who don't use any listening devices, or if they're just completely oral, lose use their cochlear implants, use hearing aids. There's a gamut of children uh, or a spectrum that um, our children are on and listening devices are used sometimes and sometimes not. And it's just, um, kids fall along that spectrum.
0: Well, great. So thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited to hear about what you've been doing since we last taught together because I know your career has taken you out of the classroom.
1: Yep, totally. Um, I've been on a total adventure. Um, I had been doing the same job Well, I decided I didn't want to do the same job for 30 years, that I wanted to diversify a little bit throughout the education field. And right now I am an ASL specialist at the Ohio school for the deaf. Um, which means that I do assessments of students, ASL skills, like their language skills in ASL. And then I apply that to classroom. Um, you know, just to make, certain that students have enough language skills in order to access the curriculum. And if not, then what do we need to do to improve that? And then ASL literacy as well is just like kids who are learning English and taking, um, you know throughout school time learning English. they also it, the uh, for deaf students, they have um, ASL literacy. So it's a matter of how do you use American Sign Language in an academic setting just as you would learn how to use English academically. And I was an educational consultant also for about seven, for about, for two years, I was an educational consultant. And um, that position was, really gave me the opportunity to go into um, schools all over the state of Ohio where deaf students are mainstreamed, you know, like deaf kids are in their home school district with um, their hearing peers, general education peers. And I would evaluate to see if those students have accessibility um, enough to be able to to learn, what would the accommodations be to, Support that learning, and then you know provide support for the students and the teachers. Some were doing great. Some needed a lot of support. Some of the te- educational teams were really at a loss as to what to do. so that's where we came in and provided those resources and um, you know supported the deaf students where they were. And also, um, I have a fabulous job as well as an outreach specialist where I provide training for schools, school districts, principals, admin. Um, so when there is a deaf student in the classroom, we can provide training, provide development of, you know, like guideline document, guiding documents um, regarding how to support students at their local district. And there are guidelines, um, like educational services for deaf students. There are guidelines out there, different um, you know, the roles of different service specialists, speech therapists, itinerant teachers. What do those all mean for deaf students? So those guidelines are out there too. Um, yeah. And so that job was, was great. And I was a classroom teacher prior to that for 10 years. And I taught um, the whole range of uh, pre-K through high school. So it's nice to have sort of like that holistic view of deaf education um, in my background. And I think that's what made me who I am today as a professional.
0: It's an amazing journey that you've had. And I want to ask you a few questions, particularly about outreach before I do that, I just want to clarify for our listeners and our and our viewers deafness, there's a cultural component to it. And so so many times, and when we're talking about children who have disabilities, where it is important to put the person first. So we might say the child who has autism or um, you know, the child who has, and you could say whatever disability. And I just want to make it clear that because we're talking about a cultural, component to deafness that in the deaf community, we say it's okay to put deafness first because that's something we're very proud of and it's part of who we are and we embrace it and we use it to um, to make ourselves the best we can be. So you might hear us say deaf kids, it wouldn't be okay to say um, necessarily another disability for you know first. So sometimes I think people, it's a little jarring if they're used to saying the, the person first has this disability. But deafness is a, is a part of who the person is. So it's okay to say deaf kids or deaf children.
1: Yeah, yes, yeah, that's right. Um, whenever, you know, in the deaf community, I always introduce myself as being deaf or, you know, that's how I navigate life as a deaf person. And it's like, you don't have to be like, oh, clutching your pearls, like, oh, they're deaf or whatever. Um, I learned from the autistic community, people in the autistic community, people use the sign or use the language, like saying I am autistic and there's even a different sign, you know? So it's the same thing for deaf people, like people who, um, are deaf themselves. It's how they choose to identify as well. That's important.
0: Yeah, totally. Thank you for clarifying that. Tell us, Julie. So, you know, if I am a new teacher in a district and, um, It could be a district anywhere in the state or even the country. And I suddenly find myself with a child who has a hearing impairment or who is deaf. Where do I even start? um, One, learning about deafness and hard of hearing and two, understanding how to make accommodations and how to modify curriculum. Where would I start? Well, I think first, You know, you got
1: to meet the student first and kind of get to know what their language use is, their primary language, um, check their IEP accommodations and see what's there. And keep in mind, in the back of your mind, that because they're deaf, you know, doesn't mean they may or may not have intellectual disabilities. You know, you could just keep high expectations for the student. And it's important because the student will sense the expectations that you have for them. And it's important to keep kids, you know, knowing that we're expecting to, them to do the best they can. And even if, you, you know, maybe they're, um, a student that's in middle school or high school, you could ask them, you know, what is it that you want? Like, let them choose their seat in the classroom. Cause they know themselves better. You know, if they need to be in the front, to see and hear and understand things better. Some people like, you know, some children would choose to be further in the back so that they can see what's going on, you know, like in a broad view of the classroom. So those kinds of things are important, giving them ownership and, you know, meet the parents as well. And their prior teachers, that might be important, you know, what to ask their experiences, what worked for that student, you know, just kind of like roll your sleeves up and get to know the kid and see what works best for them in the classroom. And reach out to a teacher of the deaf also, if it's a possibility. If the student has that on their IEP, work as closely as you can with the teacher of the deaf, because those are the professionals who have the resources and the knowledge and the information that deaf students, you know, that would benefit deaf students and in their integration into the general room.
0: Okay, so suppose I'm in a district that doesn't have a, a, a teacher of the deaf. What do I do? Ohio has,
1: it's called the ESC, the Educational Service Center. Um, And Franklin County, um, for example, has an education program that's affiliated with the ESC. For some other areas, there's potentially not an ES or a a teacher of the deaf at an ESC, but keep looking for something local. You know, there are three large major areas that have teachers of the deaf in their ESCs already. Um, and I think like even in the Toledo area, but I would say, keep looking, starting with the educational service center as your first point of contact. And then also you can reach out to the school for the deaf, the Ohio school for the deaf um, statewide service center. That's another option. Um, and Ocali, O-C-A-L-I is the, um, they have a deafblind educational uh, resource center as well. So those are three different places that you could start at least getting in touch with people.
0: Great. Those are awesome resources to check out. And I'll put those in the show notes for sure. So I have a few thoughts as as I'm listening. Um, and because the purpose of this podcast, vodcast, is to educate and inspire teachers. So one of the things I want to just point out, first of all, you may have a student who's using an interpreter. And so if you notice, as a listener or viewer, how I'm using my interpreter. I'm talking directly to Julie, right? Um, I think that's a really important thing for hearing people to understand is how to properly use an interpreter. Like it's almost, even though Shannon. (laughs) Totally. Even though Shannon is a friend of mine, I'm almost like just pretending like she's not even there. I'm looking at Julie. I'm watching her face. (laughs) Even if I didn't know sign language, that's the etiquette that would still happen.
1: Yes, that's absolutely correct. It's always, you know, maybe a little awkward or odd at first, like when a hearing person, I'm communicating with a hearing person through the interpreter. It's hard because it's like, I'm trying to watch the interpreter to see what they're saying. And I don't look at the hearing person. And so then To expect the hearing person to look at me though while they're talking, it's just a little strange because it can be, it can feel a little stilted and like you're trying to do a a dance that you might not know the choreography to for, uh, you know, by heart. So, you know, it's it is, but you're doing great, and that's exactly what you're supposed to do is, um, you know, maintain eye contact with the deaf person and then just speak directly to them.
0: And so I think in a classroom, um, as a teacher, we would have to explicitly teach that etiquette to students too. Because I've seen where hearing kids would go up to the interpreter and say, hey, can you tell, you know, Julie that, you know, whatever they wanted to say. And it's you, as the teacher, you have to teach that social skill to the child on how to use an interpreter.
1: Yes. And it's the teacher and the interpreter and a deaf student who can advocate for themselves as well, depending on their age. Like, obviously... Um, it would be more appropriate for like a high school student to do that, to advocate and say, yeah, um, you know, speak directly to me. You wouldn't think a first grader would do that necessarily. But, you know, the the deaf kids can teach this, um, their hearing peers themselves how that, um, how they prefer that communication to go once they feel comfortable doing so.
0: Awesome. And then one thing, if you're listening to this podcast and you can't see and you didn't you look at the vodcast, I want to point out that. Um, All three of us are wearing black and we are all white women and we're wearing black. (laughs) Can you explain why? I I don't even think, I think I just like subconsciously put a black shirt on today too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, black's also my favorite color to wear, but when you're using sign language, it's important to have a contrast between your clothing and your skin tone. So it's um, more visible to the person that um, uh, you're signing with. So contrasting colors that are plain without patterns on the fabric, it's the same thing with like, if you were a hearing person and you could hear white noise all day, it'd be the same thing as watching like a present a presentation with a signer that was wearing, you know, like a loud patterned outfit. Um, it just is a very distracting, visually noisy um, kind of background to the sign language. So wearing um, something that's solid color and contrast with your skin tone uh, is much more clearly visible. And then, you know, I've I've spoken with some teachers before um, who have explained to me that students who use interpreters all day become fatigued because their eye, I mean, the eye is a muscle. So from using sign language and trying to receive information visually all day to uh that they've noticed students become fatigued. And then students who use spoken language that are working really hard to, you know, use their listening and spoken language skills, so experience quite a bit of fatigue because they're working so hard to look back and forth and figure out what um, communication is going on. And it's just, it's a lot of work. So it's something that's really important to keep in mind for kids that are in the mainstream that, um, you know, their teachers should keep an eye out for is that kind of fatigue.
0: Great. Thank you. And with that being said, you know, there is a whole continuum of deaf learners. We have children who do use sign language. And if you're a hearing teacher and you don't, know sign language, I mean, particularly as a deaf person and as an ASL specialist, um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on people tr- starting to try to learn and use sign language to communicate directly with their students?
1: Well, that's there's a lot of fabulous resources, apps and things out there that um, can, uh, you can get started with learning basic sign language. And deaf students are always very appreciative to see their peers or their teachers doing simple signs, like, please, thank you. Good morning. How are you? Um, you know, those apps out there are great for, uh, basic signs like that. There's one called signschool.com and it's a free resource. Um, there's vocabularies, uh, there's also phrases, full phrases. So you can watch videos of people who are signing and you can slow it down or speed it up to the speed that you prefer it. And then they can, uh, you know, specifies which hand shapes are used and you can practice at your own pace. Um, You know, it's just something to a starting place and then see where it goes from there.
0: Thank you. I I'm looking forward to checking out that resource. So, on the other, you know, as we talk about deafness and hard of hearing being on a continuum, on one hand, we have kids who are using American Sign Language or maybe another sign system like Signed English or the various other sign systems are. And then we start moving into um, the other side of the continuum where we do have students using assistive listening devices to help them access speech and. They're also working on speech, so I know personally as an intervention specialist in a hearing school. Um, there, like I said, every year there's always at least a few kids who are deaf or hard of hearing, and their equipment goes down. So whether it's hearing aids not working, whether it's um, cochlear implants not um, not working correctly because of batteries, or or for both of those things, the FM system not working for the teacher, and so. You know, how do people troubleshoot those technology issues when they do come up?
1: Well, um, educational audiologists uh, play a valuable role for our students who depend on that technology. And not just that, but also. they support general education teachers in the classroom to know like what the noise level, you know, if it's too loud in the classroom, how to dampen that sound, maybe with curtains or to put, you know, the tennis balls on the feet of your chairs so that the uh, chairs aren't squeaking when kids are moving their chairs around. Educational audi- audi- audiologists play a valuable role in figuring out the noise level of the classroom to help reduce that background noise and help students be able to learn and access the sound. They also are able to help with maintenance and um, repair of FM systems. So yeah, educational audiologists are a great resource. And I also wanna throw out there that um, in my experience as a deaf person and as a teacher of the deaf um, and watching my daughter who, you know, can speak and sign both, she's she's deaf. um, I've watched all of that. And in my experience, I feel like non-deaf children should be able to simultaneously pick up sign language and English because that provides all of the tools that kids can grow up with knowing what their strengths are in each language. And maybe they're strong in both and, or they can pick one or the other, but I think giving all of the tools possible to, you know, meet them where they are. I feel like education would be so much more successful if kids had all of those resources given to them from the beginning. And the interpreter made a mistake, said not deaf kids, but um, kids who are deaf or hard of hearing is who I'm specifically speaking of. So you don't have to pick one or the other, give children, everything, all the resources, and they will pick, um, from that menu, so to speak of what works best for them.
0: Totally. And I will say, you know, working in a small school district, we don't have immediate access to an audiologist, but my go-to person is always the speech language pathologist. Because if a child has a hearing, um, a hearing aid or a cochlear implant, the child may or may not be working with a speech language pathologist, but she has a lot of knowledge about how to troubleshoot equipment as well. Yes, that's, that's right. And it's like the speech language pathologist,
1: you know, there's different fields in uh, speech language pathology. Some people work with apraxia. Some people work with, you know, uh, elderly who have lost their hearing, but, to find somebody who's a speech language pathologist that works in education and somebody who knows deaf kids. Yeah. They, there are, they are out there and it's kind of the same thing with, you know, the field of education, you have different specialty areas, um, that people have worked in. And the same thing in in that, um, area of speech language pathology, there's different specialty areas.
0: Right. So with that being said, Language learning and literacy go hand in hand. I mean, this is really what's at the heart and soul of mindful literacy, Columbus, and um, you know, I want to talk about that, that you, you mentioned giving all of the tools to kids who are deaf and hard of hearing in terms of language access. So what impact does language have on literacy? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So if a deaf child has a complete
1: access to language development from, you know, birth until they go into school, they, you know, are able to develop sign language, spoken language, whatever it is that they develop in a natural way and then hit the ground running with literacy. But if their language is, you know, unclear, if they're not able to develop in a way, you know, that's comparable to their hearing peers, it's difficult. So it's important to give all kids that kind of language foundation before they get to the school age. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of people, I think, misunderstand or make uh, incorrect assumptions that learning ASL will have a negative impact on the learning of English and English skills. Um, But it's just a matter of having a foundational language, whether that's ASL or Russian or French sign language or Japanese or any language. If you have a strong foundation to begin with, That will make your brain prepared to kind of like pick up on those linguistic rules in order to build a second language. So, to have a first fully developed foundational language is critical for that, um, the rest of it to to build on top of it once the student gets into school. And so, definitely, ASL has an important foundational effect on the ability for students to develop written and um, read. English literacy once they get to school age.
0: Definitely. And I even think, um, you know, even if a child doesn't know any ASL, I think it's really important for a teacher to keep in mind that because there was a hearing loss at whatever point, that there may be areas of language, even if it's spoken English, that need to be directly taught in order to build literacy skills.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um just to acquire a language in a natural environment for deaf students, it's to keep in the back of your mind that yes, deaf kids might have some hearing, but they are likely missing out on a whole bunch of sounds, you know, like the high frequency s, c, um, or, you know, maybe because of that missing the plural S at the end of a word, maybe they just hear, like if you're saying bears, they just hear the word bear and they miss the S because of the high frequency nature of the S sound. So, you know, it's like, you have to clarify, like I said, bears, which means many, not one or, you know, something like that. And it's a matter of really paying attention to the holistic language needs of the child. But let me ask you this, um, your mindful literacy, can you tell me like a little, just a little bit more about it? What does that look
0: like? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, you know me. I've always been vastly curious about how children acquire literacy skills. This is exactly what got me into the field of deaf education to begin with was, you know, when I was in college, I started studying um, education and I was learning how to teach kids how to read. And I met a deaf person and it was the first deaf person I ever met. and. I was like, well, wait a minute. If I'm being taught how to teach kids how to read based on the sounds we hear, how did you learn to read if you can't hear the sounds, right? So um, I just, from then, I've just been so curious on how best to reach all learners on how to to read. And so mindful literacy was really born out of my own journey as a teacher and this quest of how do we teach every child literacy skills so they can have the life that they deserve and live up to all of their potentials. So um, this idea really was born about a year year ago when I was tutoring kids one-on-one and I thought, wow, this is having a huge impact on children's lives, um, you know. And I thought, not every kid gets this opportunity to tutor one-on-one with a teacher. So, I just felt really passionately about giving kids opportunity to work with a one-on-one tutor. And so, I, of course, I came up with this huge dream of, of starting a center and doing research and really being able to reach a large number of kids, particularly kids who are in poverty, um, because we know in deaf education that, um, you know, the reading levels plateaus at the fourth grade level on average for the last, what is it, Dr. Clancy, like a hundred years. I mean, it's, the statistics are dire.
1: 200, I would say. Yeah, deaf ed in America, for sure.
0: This this isn't good. Well, when I started, when I went back to get my doctorate and I started looking at hearing populations and kids who have dyslexia and who are at risk for reading failure, the statistics were equally not good for kids who come from a minority background. So kids who are black, kids who are Latina, Latino, kids um, who are Native American, kids who come from, um, from, from families living in poverty, the reading statistics were we're also not good.
1: <laughs> yeah, not good, and that's something that needs to be addressed for sure.
0: Right. So the why the whole mission behind Mindful Literacy is to change that one word at a time, one kid at a time, and, and I'm hoping that we'll have teachers that we can um, train and who can also tutor kids. So that's really where where Mindful Literacy is coming from. And you know, I want to say. even though I have this big dream, we are, our goal is to raise $5,600 so we can sponsor one student's tutoring this year. And if, you know, if it grows bigger than that, then that would be great. But if we could just give one student tutoring, I'd feel like it was a win. And I think it's appropriate to tell the two of you, I can see, um, and I'm getting a little emotional, but you know, as things have been, as things have been, been progressing step by step, you know, the whole um, movement, um, you know, of Black Lives Matter. Um, I mean, as a teacher, I think up until the last five years, I've been a white teacher teaching a majority of Black children. Um, and so our first scholarship will go to a child who is Black, Indigenous, or a person of color, without a doubt. And I want, I really, I want to announce to both of you today that I would, I want to name that scholarship after a student that all three of us taught, um, who is black and deaf and she passed away at a very young age. Um, and so Ty, I, oh yeah. yeah so I want to, um, honor Tiana Hamilton, um, Oh, that's gonna make me cry. Mm. Uh, with the scholarship.
1: That's beautiful. She was such a beautiful soul.
0: She really was. And um, I have to say that teaching, oh my gosh, <laughs> I have to say that teaching her, uh, you know, made me a better teacher, right? So, I mean, this is someone who was profoundly deaf, who was losing her peripheral vision. And this child, never gave up. And she was bound and determined to read. <laughs> and so I had her when she was seven in second grade. and I had her when she was eight in third grade. And I still have her, the letters that she wrote me. Um, there's nothing more special than a child with emerging literacy skills. The first time they write, I love you and thank you. And they write your name and they draw you pictures and they can't put captions under it. Um, as I have all of her letters, Um, and I even have a rock in my, in my own children's fairy garden. She at one point painted a rock for me that said, I love you, Bennett. (laughs) So I thought it was just, um, what an honor to be able to give a child a scholarship in Tayana's name.
1: Yeah. And I had Tayana when she was in first grade. And from what I remember was her curiosity. And she was asking why constantly she had that that grit, that determination to learn that I knew she would be a successful person. And we just lost her too soon. And she taught me, like, when I see a student who has that kind of grit that she had, you got to work with that because that's one of those students who's going to make, it's one of those success success factors that's going to make a student, you know, go places. And it just, yeah, that's very touching. And wow, what a great, what a great um, thing to do.
0: Yeah. So I appreciate your, your support and coming on the podcast to educate teachers and to build awareness for the nonprofit. And, you know, the interesting thing is a couple of years ago, before Tiana passed away, I happened to run into her mom at a library (laughs) and, um, Oh, and her mom,
1: Mandy. Oh, she is, yeah, she's an amazing soul too.
0: Yeah, and so when I said, "Oh my goodness, how are you? How is Tiana?" and that moment of catching up with her, um, when her, you know, when her mother said, "Tiana is doing better than I could have ever imagined," um, I want that for all parents who have struggling readers, you know. So that 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 is the why of mindful literacy, Julie. <laughs> it's for kids like Tiana and for parents like Mandy.
1: Yeah, for sure. And when I saw your post about that mindful literacy, I thought, oh my goodness, that is so Jessica. I mean, cause like it just shows your heart and soul. So I'm really excited to see what you do with this. It's going to, it's, I think you're going to go places with this. This is going to be great.
0: Thank you so much. So with that being said, um, people can find information about the nonprofit at mindfulliteracypractice.org forward slash nonprofit. You can sign up to be a volunteer. You can apply for a scholarship. You can apply to be a tutor and you can donate. So where can people find you if they need to find out more and get support on deaf education and hard of hearing people?
1: Um, well, I don't have any, like anything super fancy. I have a Facebook page that you can find me under Julie Stewart, but you know, I just post things about deaf education and I'm also affiliated with the National Deaf Education Conference. It's an awesome um, conference that is specifically for people who teach deaf children. And it can be for anybody, it doesn't have to be for teachers of the deaf, but just anybody who's a teacher um, that works with deaf students. And so it's um, deafeducation.ut.us. And one more quick thing I wanted to throw out there. Um, You said, one child at a time, right? And and that's just the tr- most true thing working with deaf, deaf students. When you meet a deaf child, go with what you see in that child. Don't equate them with other deaf students that you've knows, met before, you know, because every deaf child is different. So there's a diversity on a spectrum that you just, you know, have to take a kid where they're coming from. And it's important for all teachers to understand that when they're working with students, to just meet them where they are and to find out who they are in that, Snapshot of time.
0: That is a wonderful thing to leave us with. So, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate your time. Thank you to our interpreter, Shannon Clancy. Yes. I love you both. I love you both so much, and I miss you. So, I'm so glad to have the chance to catch up. Love you. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please find us on Facebook at Mindful Literacy Practice. Our Facebook page for our nonprofit is at Mindful Literacy Columbus. If you are a parent, I invite you to join our free and private group on Facebook, Mindful Literacy Parent Society. If you are a teacher, I invite you to join our free and private group on Facebook, Mindful Literacy Teacher Tribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Mindful Literacy Practice. Our website is MindfulLiteracyPractice.org. Make sure to check out our nonprofit tab where we give you all the information you need to find a scholarship, become a tutor, make a donation, or volunteer. Thank you so much for listening with the deepest gratitude.